Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one in the back of a chair. If you could turn to page 588, then you will find the scripture there. This is a difficult passage in some ways because it speaks of suffering and trials. This morning in the message, we heard that the Christian life is a life of great joy. And that's true so often. But the Christian life is also a life of painful joy at times. The book of 1 Peter obviously was written by Peter. It was written at about 65 AD. And let me give you a brief description of the world at that time that the Christians were living in, in Rome. There was hatred of Christians, which became fierce in the Roman Empire under the Emperor Nero. Christians were associated with Jews, and there was a vicious anti-Semitism in Rome at that time. The Christians would not fully cooperate in emperor worship, and they rejected the gods of the Romans. The Romans didn't mind so much that they worshiped a man named Jesus. What they minded was that they worshiped him alone and no one else. They talked of a supper that they would share as we will tonight. But what they heard was someone talking about eating a man's flesh and drinking a man's blood. And so a rumor was spread that these Christians were cannibals. Many wives of some of the prominent Romans became Christians, and they were seen as being non-submissive to their husbands. Children were being converted and were breaking connections with their families who were unbelievers. So Christianity came to be seen as a movement that divided families. It brought conflict and insubordination among wives and children. These Christians talked about a day when the world would burn in flames. Well, about that time, Nero decided he wanted to start a new building program in Rome. So he decided to burn the city down. And he set it on fire in people's lives and livelihood and homes and every possession that they own were destroyed. And resentment of the people and hostility rose up because of this. And Nero needed a scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians for what he had done. And what was an underlying hatred turned to widespread persecution of Christians. I'm going to try to be a little careful with the description of what happened because there are young ears, but I, you need to know the situation in which these believers were living. We think we live in difficult times, and they are getting more difficult. But Nero would take individuals, roll them in pitch, strike, set them on fire, History tells us that he would use some of them as living torches for his garden parties. Some would be wrapped in the skins of wild animals. 
and he would set his hunting dogs on them to tear them to pieces. They were nailed to crosses. There was even lynching that became common without a trial. They were imprisoned, stretched on racks, seared, broiled, burned, scourged, stoned, hanged, lacerated with red hot, hot knives and thrown under the horns of wild bulls. And what began in Rome spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. So Peter, writing to these persecuted Christians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this epistle that we are studying. To believers who are aliens and strangers in a hostile culture, you and I are aliens and strangers in a hostile culture. Thankfully, at this point, it hasn't become that hostile. These individuals were persecuted for their love of Christ. One day, you and I may be more persecuted for our love of Christ. And my prayer is that we will stand faithful to the one and only true God. If I were going to give this lesson a title, it would be Finding Joy in Suffering. We talked this morning about the Christian life being a joyful life, and in so many ways it is. But look in your Bible at 1 Peter chapter 1 and the two verses that we're going to look at tonight. Starting in chapter, or verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a joyful life. In fact, we're commanded to be joyful. There are multiple verses throughout the Old Testament, but just one, Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. And Jesus, in that Scripture that Jackson read for us this morning in John 15 said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Paul in Philippians 4 said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't hear it again, I say, Rejoice. And even James in chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. So a biblical theme throughout scripture is that Christianity is a life of tremendous joy. And if you have been a believer for very long, you know that to be true. And Peter gives two reasons why we can rejoice even in trial. If you have two points to this message, the first one would be this. Looking beyond our trials or persecutions to an eternal hope brings peace and great joy looking beyond our trials and persecutions to an eternal hope brings peace and great joy. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. But what's he talking about? He's talking about what Greg taught on in verses 3 through 5 two weeks ago. Let's read that briefly. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as the elect of God, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He made you to be born again by his sovereign grace and choice. Born again to a living hope, a living hope that can never die. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance which you and I will receive one day when we go to glory. It's an inheritance that is imperishable. It can never go away. It's undefiled, absolutely pure. It's unfading. It can never be diminished. And it is kept in heaven for you by the Lord Jesus Christ who gave it to you. What safer place can it be? That's why we are to not store up treasures for ourselves on earth, but in heaven where it's a safe place. But we are also by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only do we have an inheritance which is guaranteed, but because we are guarded by the Lord, we will get there. We are kept by him. So there's a great hope that's kept for us, and we are kept for that great hope. This really talks about the doctrine of security, which we'll touch on a little more at the end of the lesson. Perseverance of the saints, you may have heard it called. We have been born again. God has caused us to be born again. That was when we were justified. We are guarded through faith by God's power, our faith being refined throughout the process. That's sanctification. And we are waiting for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, which will be when we are glorified and see the Lord face to face. Looking to and trusting in a future hope brings us great joy. I don't know how many times in my office when I'm seeing patients who are believers, they're either struggling with a physical problem or on top of that they have some family issue or something emotional going on. And I try to encourage them by quoting Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We have an incredible hope that awaits us one day. So in this, you rejoice. For a second point, which is very similar to the first, yet different, trusting God's sovereign design through our trials brings peace and great joy. In the first point, we're looking beyond our trials I have a tendency to be seasick, and I went fishing with my dad one time, and there had been a terrible storm out on the ocean earlier in the day. But the clouds had cleared, and the sun was out, but the waves were still huge. And I had had too much for breakfast, and I went over the wave and over the wave. And my dad said, just look to the horizon where it is stable. 
The problem then was the waves were so big when I went over it, all I saw was the back of the wave. But he was trying to get me to look beyond my circumstance to something that was stable and not moving as I was. But trusting in God's sovereign design through our trials brings peace and great joy. God's sovereign design, his purpose. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and here's two key words, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What would make your suffering necessary? Are you just a victim of circumstance? Having a bad day? Your luck ran out? The better question is who would make it necessary? God? You might say a loving God wouldn't want that for me, would he? Could it be God's will that you suffer, that I suffer? Well, let's look at First Peter. We're looking here in chapter 1. Yes, in First Peter chapter 2, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So is it God's will? Go to the next chapter of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Go to the next chapter, 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And finally, in chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's God's sovereign hand. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Exalt means to lift you out of that situation once he has finished doing in your life what he is trying to do. And he does it at the proper time. If God wills, you and I will suffer for doing what is right. And if he wills not, we will not. If necessary. God determines if it's necessary. But what is his design or purpose? Why is it necessary? If you look at the first two words of verse 7, it says, so that... <laughs> Two more important words. There's a reason why we suffer. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's purpose is to refine our faith like gold. So that when we see him face to face, our faith will be praised by God Almighty. A faith that he gave us as a gift at justification. A faith in which he keeps you in sanctification. A faith for which he will praise and honor you at your glorification. And it's all a gift of grace that we did absolutely nothing to earn.
there is a purpose for our trials and persecutions in this life. Well, that brings up some real difficult questions. Is your marriage breaking up God's will? Did your spouse get cancer or you got cancer? Is that God's will? When your child rebels, is that God's will? That you lose your job and fall into financial strain. That you lose a parent, a spouse, a child, or a grandchild. Well, let me say that scripture would tell us that God does not delight in pain. He does not approve or command sin. But any of those things God could easily prevent, but he often doesn't. So in a sense, yes, it is God's will. Question, when Christians suffer for doing right, is sin happening? When you're doing right and you're persecuted for that, is there sin? Yes. When Jesus was crucified, was sin happening? Absolutely. The Romans were sinning. The Jews were sinning. Even Peter, because he denied him, sinned, though he wasn't the one who put him on the cross. It was the most sinful act in all of human history that occurred that day, and God willed it to be so. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world, Romans 13. Jesus, as Peter confronted the men who did this, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God's will, because it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, it was sin because it was done at the hands of lawless men. God wills that sinful acts occur without sinning. That's a hard concept. He wills that sinful acts occur without sinning. And if we reject that, we reject the cross and God's design in it. There is a divine purpose in our trials and persecutions. What is it? We must know his purpose if we are to find joy in a life of pain. What is God doing? Well, let's look at our trials. If you want some subpoints in your notes, five things that we see about the trials that we go through. Verse 6, in this re you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If we were to start a discussion and let everybody in the room go through the trials that they've been through in life, we'd be here all night and beyond. Every possible kind of trial. In fact, the Greek word here for various means it's poikilos, which means many-colored. It's the whole spectrum of things. It might be for you the loss of a parent or a loved one. It, it could be anything. And you might say, I never thought this would happen to me. 
But we must, according to 1 Peter 4.19, entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So our trials are various, but we also see that they are brief. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know, time is relative. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had to have an MRI scan, and it was right at the start of COVID, and I'll have to confess to you, I've got a degree of claustrophobia. I don't like being stuck in a tube. But because it was COVID, they insisted that I wear a mask, and it was hot in the MRI room. And it's noisy, so they put these headphones on you to block out the noise. So I had a mask up to here, I had headphones here, and I had the front of this tube in front of my face. And for 40 minutes, I had to lay there motionless. And I prayed, and I prayed for 40 minutes that God would get me through that. That was for 40 minutes. The kids got out of school back in late May. They're just now going back. They had about 80 days off. And I'm sure the kids and the parents were saying, where did the summer go? That was quick. So time is relative. We must take an eternal view of our lives. One grace that God gave me when I was 17 and lost my dad was seeing things at more of an eternal view. I miss my dad tremendously, but I said back then and i said many times since, if the Lord allows me to live 100 years, I will go 83 years without my earthly father but then I will see him again one day, and it will be forever. And greater than that, we will be with the Lord face to face. James 4.14 says, For you are a mist that appears for a while, for a little time, and then it vanishes. It's like an old, the old aerosol cans. You'd spray in this little mist, and all of a sudden it'd be gone. And the older you get, the more you realize that life is short, Compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's a blip on the radar screen. And it's an act of faith to trust God with whatever happens in our life. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Thirdly, our trials, they're grievous. We don't just blow them off and say that's nothing. Everybody in this room just about went through a trial a couple of years ago that was grievous. You had been grieved by various trials. That means to be sorrowed, to be distressed. In this you rejoice while being grieved by various trials. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know what Peter is talking about. In fact, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, as dying... And behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrow and joy go hand in hand in the Christian life. It's a life of painful joy at times. And there is a place for grieving and sorrowing in our walk with Christ, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope, 1 Thessalonians 4. And that's not just talking about when you lose a loved one. But in every trial you face, 
no matter what the grief, distress, disappointment, pain, frustration, you name it. There's a depth of faith that is possible in the Lord by sovereign grace as a gift. A good picture of that is if you picture the ocean, which in places is as deep as six miles deep. On the surface of the ocean, there can be a Category 5 hurricane with the wind blowing and the waves are huge. But if you go deep enough below that surface, there's a place where it's perfectly still. And in the midst of our trials and storms of life, Jesus, the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. There is a faith that can go that deep. Fourthly, our trials are like a fire that refines gold from its impurities. Again, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When gold is melted by fire, the impurities rise to the top, and they can be skimmed off. And when the gold is allowed to harden again, it is more pure and more valuable than it was before it was put under fire. And as precious as gold is, it's perishable. It's like everything else in this life is going to be gone and will not last. But this is an analogy that Peter uses for the testing of your faith. God loves your faith. He gave it to you. He wants to see it refined and for us to trust in him. And his purpose is to purify our faith that we may be progressively conformed to the image of his dear son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's our sanctification. God puts our faith in the fire for a purpose that the impurities might be removed. You say, well, what impurities are you talking of? How about the inclination to murmur and grumble when things don't go our way? To be discontent, to have doubt, trusting in something or someone more than the Lord, such as money, ourself, our position, our popularity, our reputation. How does God remove impurities by various trials. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Here come the trials. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely on ourselves, not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul was so distressed in threat of death that his only hope was resurrection from the dead. He thought he was a goner. But God spared him, and his faith was purer afterwards than it was before. So when all the props are knocked out from under you, your health, your family, your esteem in the community, we are to lean on Jesus. 
who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. We learn to trust him fully and depend on nothing else for our joy. And then the final point of our trials, the result of God's purpose in our trials is that our faith would receive praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two things are going to happen when Jesus comes back. One, we are going to trust him completely and our faith will be pure and it will be complete. And his glory will be magnified. His worth, his beauty, his trustworthiness, all of his wonderful attributes. But secondly, his glory is going to reflect back in our eternal joy and faith and hope. And he will say of our purified faith, I love that. The faith that I gave you is now pure and undefiled. And I praise and I glory and I honor that. In, in, toward the end of First Peter in chapter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Jesus is going to crown you. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? We sing crown him with many crowns. And we want to do that. This morning we, we sang, uh, All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Yet Jesus is going to crown you and me. Is that not an awesome thought? And it's all by grace. And next time we gather, we're going to go over the next two verses that so you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In closing, I mentioned a minute ago about the security of the believer. I'm sure everybody in here at some point has doubted your salvation. But let me ask you a question. Can a believer become an unbeliever? Can a new creation in Christ become again the old can a child of God again become a child of the devil can a citizen of heaven blessed by Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places now become an occupant of hell no you have been born again to a living hope that cannot die through Jesus who has given you an inheritance which is imperishable, will never go away. It's undefiled, absolutely pure, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of these scriptures. Father, we confess that many times when we go through trials, we 
keep our eyes down and we look at the trial instead of looking up into your face and trusting you. Father, just like a parent who disciplines his child for their good, we know at times you discipline us for our own good. And we go through a trial then. And sometimes it's just a trial of faith. Something that happens in our life that something seems to be taken away and it's a struggle at times for us to believe. But Father, we pray that we would have the grace to look at all of this from an eternal perspective. That we will see it is all under your sovereign hand and under your sovereign control. Father, we love you. We praise you. We do long for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.